Welcome. This is the Woodbury Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We're glad that you tuned in, and if you'd like to know more about our church, you can find out all the information at woodburychurch.org. Or we'll see you some Sunday, Sundays at 10 a.m. Looking forward to it. Good morning. I am so excited because I usually think through who's going to be in the audience. And so to prepare myself. (laughs) And I was expecting to be preaching to my family and the staff this morning. (laughs) Because I thought you would all be up at your glorious cabins. So uh, maybe you'll head right off after the service. Uh, but anyway, so wow, I'm, I'm just uh, thrilled uh, that we have so many here this morning. It's, it's really pretty much a full house, even with the teens gone. So uh, I just kind of wanted to start off with a, I like to talk about things that are stating the obvious. Uh, one is that we do not have a doctrine, now listen carefully, we do not have a doctrine of elder infallibility. Okay, all right. You were scared to say that. Okay. It's a clever, more clever than you think it is. Uh, it let you think about that. Would you like to hear a story that proves it? You're going to have to join in sometimes this morning. Okay, you like, okay. So here, here it is. Uh, so a couple of Sundays ago was Father's Day, right? And so I'm thinking about uh, uh, the Amy's that that group, my daughter and her family were in Colorado on vacation. My son and his family live in York, Nebraska, so you know, I don't have anybody. Uh, the, 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 you know, the cart's coming in late for my son, normal. And so, uh, not that I want to mention that, but. So uh, I'm thinking, well, I wonder who else in the congregation, you know, might be, you know, far from fathers, family, other kind of things. And I think, well, Presley. And, and Olivia, you know, maybe they, you know, they're, they're here. I wasn't sure Olivia had been traveling, so I thought, and I'd sent out a text to some others, people, and, and uh, so I thought, well, I'll start with Presley. And uh, so I call him, and uh, he answers, and I said, hey, uh, you know, what are you doing tomorrow? And he said, well, you know, what are you doing, you know, a- after church? And he said, well, we'll probably eat. And I said, well, that's, that's good. I said, how would you, you like us to take you out for lunch tomorrow? And he said, well, I'm not, I'm not sure how that's going to work. I'm in Mexico. <laughs> if you remember. So uh, that proves it. That proves that elders are not uh, infallible. So anyway, Olivia, is Olivia here? Oh, she's not. Okay. She's away. I was going to apologize to her because I was so discombobulated by that that I just gave up on everybody. So <laughs> my wife and I went to Culver's or someplace. So for this summer, we're doing a series in which the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Colossae. It's a, a very short book, a short letter, but it is just packed with insights and encouragement and strengthening and wisdom, wisdom for the church there. And they need a lot of that because they're kind of be tempted to be drawn to think that you need some other things besides Jesus. That's really at the core of the issue to which Paul writes. And there's all kinds of details about that. But that's, that's the big thing. 
So I want to review a bit, and so I'm just going to read a couple of texts to help you kind of see what Paul does. And notice, watch for the words all. He, he just, you just think that probably he, that's a big word for Paul. That everything, all, is in Jesus Christ. There is nothing that not, is not in Christ. You don't need to add anything to Christ because he has it all. Chapter 1, verse 15. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn, which means priority, over all of creation. In him all things were created, whether it's things, uh, heaven or earth, visible, invisible, whether it's thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, whatever powers there are, whatever authorities there are, they were created through him. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I'm just assuming that if something happened to Christ, the universe would just explode or something, disappear. So, and he is the head of the church, the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So that in everything, same word, all, all, he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, everything reconciled to Christ, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and he did it by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's where it happened. That's where it was confirmed. So there's this great emphasis on Jesus as being the image of the invisible God and the head and authority over all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And then as always in scripture, because of God's grace, because of God's mercy, there is this challenge then to live with that reality, to live a new life as a child of God. So then, just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. You be rooted in him, you're built up in him, you're strengthened in your faith, you were taught, and you're overflowing because of all this with thankfulness. Now, then Paul launches in, set that Christ is everything, uh, again about the supremacy of Christ, which, which I think means Paul just uh, can't emphasize it enough. He just keeps circling back, full circle to this theme over and over again as you go through uh, Colossians. Uh, he just comes back about the nature of Christ, chapter 2, verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of God, deity, is in bodily form. Strange thing. And in Christ, you've been brought to fullness. He's the head over every power and authority. In Christ is the fullness of God. Paul is saying that this, this historical person, this historical person, this Christ, the Jesus, the Nazarene, he's not just, there, there was kind of a beginning to be some belief that Jesus might be some sort of an angel or some sort of thing. 
our heavenly being, that it sort of descended down through the, the layers of celestial uh, layers to get to the earth. And Paul's saying, no. Jesus the Nazarene is fully God. And if you want to really know God in his fullness, you look at Jesus Christ and you follow Jesus. What an astounding statement. Now, why is it important to emphasize this? Well, if it's, this is all very crystal clear to you, it may not be important to emphasize. But if you have any doubts or any questions about who Jesus is, then life hangs in the balance. It hangs in the balance. And your allegiance to Jesus in difficult times of trial and temptation will depend on how important you think Jesus is to the creation and the survival of the universe and its inhabitants and the salvation of the world. Now, if it's not that important, then, you know, we might decide in difficult times it just may not be worth it. But, but people that believe this were ready to give up their lives. I mean, when you find something that's important, you will give it up. There are people that give up all kinds of things by their death for others and other kind of things. So all this is important. And Jesus, Paul is then implying that in this, I think also just a, what, what tends to happen uh, even with Christians is <clears throat> I think what happens sometimes you have all these great promises from God and then your world experience doesn't seem to match that <laughs> have you ever heard on that it's just like eh, I, uh, okay we hear all these great things at church and whatever in the Bible and stuff but I'm not seeing it I don't feel that I don't feel it at church I don't you know all these sort of things and the world feels a lot more powerful and and interesting and perhaps more meaningful than church and life and Christ I mean that's just that's just a reality uh, no criticism of anybody or anything and so what happens is for the Colossians they begin looking for more what what else is there uh, we got Jesus, that's a good, good deal, but we aren't, we aren't sensing it. We're not feeling it. We don't feel like uh, church kind of seems to be church in, you know, this old illustration, black and white, and now it's, but we want, we want Blu-ray. We want Blu-ray Christianity, where we really know the mysteries, where we really see things. And, uh, you know, sometimes Christian life doesn't see that. And so in their search for meaning and purpose and hope, uh, they're looking in the wrong place. Let me, Paul is saying that if, if you have found Jesus, your search for meaning and purpose and hope is ended and complete. I, I, the first time I kind of began to get that years ago in the Gospel of John, and I just thought, wow, wow. I, I've got it. That seems a little too simple. You mean I've got it? Yes, you got it. Your search is ended. The journey begins in following this one in whom everything exists. 
because Jesus Christ is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega of all things. Now, I want to build on this a little bit and pause. Uh, This can kind of be heard as kind of a statement of Christian orthodoxy, which it is. Uh, The Bible says it, so it's so. But uh, I I want us to kind of pretend this morning this is the first time you've heard it. I mean, you may have heard this a thousand times. I just want you to try and think you're hearing it for the first time. Because what Paul is saying is outrageous. Outrageous. That a human was born from a woman, and that one who also died as a man is God. This is a big pill to swallow, I would suggest, because it doesn't make scientific, it doesn't make mathematical, it doesn't make philosophical sense. Paul is emphasizing the apostolic teaching that God and Christ has given a clear, all, complete way to know God. That this in Jesus of Nazareth, who came to life as a human, and died a cruel death as a human, was confirmed to be the Son of God by rising from the dead. There there is nothing as mighty as Jesus. Jesus, we might say, is A-L-L, almighty. Even sin and death could not control, defeat, were powerless before him. It was no contest. It wasn't like it was 85 to 84. It was, I don't know what number, (laughs) a zillion to one. Now, uh, just go with me here a little bit. Uh, pretend again you you haven't this is the first time you've ever heard this and imagine yourself you know you go to the gas station grocery store convenience store and whatever and somebody's chatty you got a chatty person at the as a cashier and and uh, and they, they ask what, what did you do this morning where you been you say well I went to church and they said well how was it and you could you know you could say well it's okay you know it's it's a good deal But if this is the first time you've heard this, you might say it was upsetting and it was outrageous. We had this old guy, this old preacher who gets up there and he says that this historical person, Jesus of Nazareth, is God in the flesh and it's just a little hard to take it in. What do you think about that? He rose from the dead. And now he, he is able to forgive people of all their sins. It's just, it doesn't make sense in our economy of this world. Now, I'm not telling you you have to go do that because they'd probably think you were weird. But uh, I, I, just, I just want us to let that soak. A second question is, what does Jesus want for you, for people? If anything, he wants a lot for us. Going on to chapter 2, verse 11. In him, Christ, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. So there is an allusion back to entrance into the Old Covenant. Paul uses the imagery of circumcision, applies it now, but it's not with human hands. 
And he says, different translations, the one I have, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Now, this whole imagery is very foreign to us, and the word flesh here is, is complicated. Uh, so I'm not going to go into all kinds of details. I'm going to give you Bruce's version, okay? And then you can study up on it on your own. The simplest way I would describe the flesh of being put off, it is your propensity and vulnerability to temptation and sin. It boils down a lot to selfishness. Would you like to get rid of your selfishness? I sure would. And you'd think by this time I wouldn't have any. But unfortunately, I'm surprised at how much I still have. Are you aware of how vulnerable you are to making selfish, destructive decisions and prone to say hurtful words or have deeds and thoughts that are hurtful? I'm kind of still surprised. Uh, you, 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 you know, people say, I, I tell them sometimes that I get angry, and they, they said, I've never seen you angry. And I said, oh, that's good. That's good. You haven't ever seen me angry. Uh, and uh, I can get mad and a heartbeat and uh, some other things, and I don't want to tell you all the things I think when I'm mad. Jesus wants to kill that part of you. He's after that. To cut it off and for it to be done and dealt with. Secondly, Jesus wants to be connected with you. So we have this phrase, having been buried with him. That he wants to be joined with you, have a relationship with you, that you are his friend, he is your Lord, he is your king, he is your savior, and you walk together. Jesus wants us to be with him, to be united with him. This is, this is parallel to a Red Sea experience when God brought the people through the sea, through the desert, into a land where they would be his people. And this is the primary message of the Bible, that God wants to be with people. Even after we time and time again have said, no, no, we want to do our own thing. And we can be the boss of our own lives. Thirdly, when does Paul believe that this happens? He says it's in baptism. The early church immersed people who believed in water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, what is our part? In which you were also raised with him through your faith. Through your faith. What in? This is important. It is in the working of God that when a person believes that God will honor his word and do what he said, and you do that and you trust in that and are baptized, heaven meets earth. It's all through scripture. And that even in this physical act, there is an action of God, not just apart from faith, but when there is faith and God comes and he forgives sins and he sins and gives his Holy Spirit in that point. That's what Paul believed. Paul did not believe that it was mere symbolism. 
He lived in a sacral universe, and he believed the, 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 the people that in the scriptures, apostles, and Jesus believed that God from heaven would act when people responded in faith. That it happens. Not might happen, can happen, happens, happens. So, it is not trust, in baptism is not trust in ourselves, faith in ourselves. It's not trust in a ritual, but rather in this trust that God will keep his word. Now, what does Christ do? What is the action of Christ in baptism? Well, to review again, selfishness is killed. Now, i just pause there for a minute. It seems like if it was killed, I wouldn't still be dealing with it. Paul talks in really absolute terms. Uh, it, it's, I guess if I were to say it, I, I might say it's like it's been crippled. <laughs> it's been hamstrung. Uh, it's still there. You can still go back to it. Uh, it might be a little bit like, uh, one of the best illustrations I've probably heard of this is that when people have lived in an oppressive nation with a dictator, and it's been cruel, and they leave there and they come to a country where it's free, they have a hard time with the adjustment because they may still be living thinking like it was before. Does that make sense? The transition takes time. But eventually you begin to experience more and more freedom. And, uh, but the thing that one thing they don't want to do is to think it was better where they were and go back to it just because the change is unsettling. So what else? Well, there's more. That's, that's a review. Uh, Jesus brings us from death to life. May not, you know, you may not sense it, but that's what Paul says. Uh, all our sins are forgiven. I want you to say it with me. How many of our sins are forgiven? All. Well, that can't be right. All? Well, that would mean all. He erases any records about us that stand against us. Now this is complicated and I'm not going to, I'm going to simplify it. It's difficult to know exactly what Paul means. Uh, some people think it's the law of Moses. Some think it's just law in general. Some think people think it because of Colossians and other writings that there, there was an understanding in their worldview that angels or other heavenly beings kept a record of everything down here. I don't know. Uh, for sure. <laughs> but uh, to try and make it practical for me, I think probably what Paul's trying to say here with all this list, and we've got one more, that what he's saying, whatever stands against you has been nailed to the cross. Now, I would assume most of us here, uh, I'll just use myself as an example, that there, I still feel guilt and shame of some things I did 50 years ago. And if I had mulligans, if there were mulligans in Christianity and we could turn the world and time back, I would go and I, I think I would do those better. But I can't. And I cannot fix them. And I'm still sometimes bothered by that. I would just like you to think 
of something this morning from your past you feel shame and guilt about. And it's hard to believe that God would forgive you, especially if you did it on purpose. <laughs> Paul is saying that stuff has been nailed to the cross. Now, if you believe that, you will give up anything to be a part of it. How would it be to live as though everything you have done that you are guilty and ashamed of is dealt with and erased? And that will be no accounting for it on Judgment Day. I like that. And that's kind of how I stay a Christian, I'll tell you that. If you have been immersed into Christ, those accusations, even if true, are erased because they've been nailed to the cross. Now, did uh, we see that happen? No. Did other people see that happen? No. They saw a person hanging and bleeding and dying. But Paul says that's what happened when Jesus died. Christ made it happen. God saw it happen. And they are really the only ones that matter. And our feelings about all that really don't count too much, so we have to trust. Then the sixth thing that Christ does for us in baptism is that whatever, well, through the cross, but the implications as we join Jesus, whatever powers and authorities there are in the heavens and on earth have been defeated. The proof was Jesus' triumph on the cross when he died, which is a total paradox, right? I mean, it looked like weakness, it looked like failure, it looked like sin had conquered, it looked like the Romans and the Jewish leaders had conquered. And Paul is saying, well, what really happened is whatever powers are out there, authorities that are against people and against God were disarmed. Didn't look like it, but that's what happened. He's, and so. Paul is keenly aware of the spiritual world that intersects with the physical world and the good and evil forces present in us. Now, how to make this practical? Well, uh, if you were in a country where there was a lot of voodoo and witchcraft, and uh, it would probably be easy. Uh, in a first century world, it's sometimes more difficult. To, to sense and be aware of the visual forces because sometimes I think we attribute uh, everything to uh, social causes and all, all sorts of things and, and not that those don't have an effect. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that there is something bigger going on than that. Otherwise, I'd like you to explain why we keep killing each other for more land. I don't think it's just a lack of education, and I'm 100% for education. There is something going on in our world. Why are people murdering other people? Uh, it, it is because there is a warfare that's going on 
that people, something seizes these seizes people in their flesh and they will do things they could have never imagined they might have done. How is it that a child, a baby, innocent, and I just sometimes when I'm watching the news, and you may not think this, but this may be me, but I, I think, you know, somebody that has murdered six people and now is in front of the judge and so forth and uh, being charged, and I, I just think, what, what happened to this person? Once he was just this innocent baby and so cute, and, and how in, in 25, 30 years did he get to this point? I'm telling you, it's there are evil forces that will destroy us. And only Jesus Christ has the power to overcome them. We could build on that more. So, a Christian does not have to fear those evil forces that, ha that they have the last word in your life. Now, they may beat you up some until Jesus comes, but they will not be victorious in your life because Jesus has all the words. He has the last word. So, as we think about all this, what, what are we looking for? <laughs> you know, just pretending you're hearing it the first time. What are, what are you looking for? What are you hoping for? What is your greatest need? What is your greatest desire? Paul reminds us that we don't have to keep looking and searching for meaning and hope. You don't have to look for it in rituals. You don't have to look for it in angels or kind of some mystery religion. You don't have to look for it by beating yourself up religiously all the time, making yourself feel guilty or feeling guilty naturally. You don't need it by all kinds of rules which are ineffective in overcoming your selfishness. I can attest to that. It is only the power of Christ working in you that will kill your selfishness. Your love for him, his love for you, empowered by that, your security in knowing you're saved. And if you know that, you will do anything, you will give up anything. But it won't be done just by only gritting your teeth and doing it. All and everything is found in Jesus Christ, the fullness of God. The search is over. The journey begins. Let's live by faith in that reality.